for this. Tune to WCBM FM Ann Arbor. Good radio for good audio hygiene. You're listening to the Gay Radio Collective on 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. The views and opinions expressed on WCBN public affairs programming are solely those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent those of WCBN as a whole or the licensees of this station, the Regents of the University of Michigan. makes me feel really good. Um, Playing music is like therapeutic. Um, Music makes me remember that there's beauty in the world. Uh, Music binds people together who otherwise might not speak the same language or have really anything in common. They can have music in common. I don't know, music is just like the best. Good evening and welcome to Closets Are for Clothes. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. The topic for our show is singing in a choir. The website wikipedia.org describes singing and states that the sound of each individual's singing voice is entirely unique, not only because of the actual shape and size of an individual's vocal cords, but also due to the size and shape of the rest of that person's body. Humans have vocal folds which can loosen, tighten, or change their thickness and over which breath can be transferred at varying pressures. The shape of the chest and the neck, the position of the tongue, and the tightness of otherwise unrelated muscles can be altered. Any one of these actions results in a change in pitch, volume, and color that this, and, and the sound that's produced. Sound also resonates within different parts of the body, and an individual's size and bone structure can affect the sound produced by an individual. We're going to talk tonight about singing. We're going to talk about music and also singing in a choir. With me tonight are four members from the Out Loud Chorus, based here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We'll start out with uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Smith. She's been singing with Out Loud Chorus as a first soprano since 2005. Hello, Jennifer. David, thanks for having us. Glad to have you. Lori Hart is a first soprano and has been with the Out Loud Chorus since uh, 2003. Hello, Lori. Hi, David. Great to be here. Sandra Lambert is a second alto and has been with Out Loud Chorus since 2000. Joining the chorus was her alternative to smoky karaoke bars, and she has been hooked ever since. Hello. Hello, David. Trisha Miller. She's a first soprano and has been in the Out Loud Chorus since 2003. She has been a singer all her life in various choruses, but needed a chorus where she could be, guess what, happy and gay. Hello, Trisha. Hi. Glad to have you all here. Uh, you know what? Music is, is everywhere, right? And we, I think we've all, we all can agree and understand that music is a wonderful aspect of, of life and living life, and we celebrate it and, and do it in so many different ways. Um, who would like to tell me first about where music really fits into their life and, and how they use it? Don't all speak at once. <laughs> 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 we'll just let the clock run out. Just go ahead. Now go, uh, yeah, go ahead, Trisha. 
Yeah, I could say um, I don't really know a point in my life where music wasn't a huge part of my life. It's always been really important to me. Um, I came from a singing family. It was pretty much our activity all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's continued to be for me and for my children. So, you, yeah, you come from a musical, just it's a, it's a normal part of the family. Yes. And it's a normal activity in the family to make music. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and it was our, you know, outside activity all the time. <laughs> Sandy, how about you? Well, I've kind of started out growing up. I did like country music and stuff singing you know in the shower and and so forth and i sang in a high school choir and then after that um just kind of laid low and then karaoke came on the scene and got into that and uh, finally got to the point where i wanted to do something on a regular basis where you want to do something on a regular basis right with a choir and uh, like it said i've been ever since Okay. And uh, how about you, Jen? Well, for me, David, uh, music fits in my life everywhere. I listen to music um, when I'm working, when I'm in the car. Um, I enjoy singing all the time, (laughs) making up songs, singing in the shower. Um, And it's always been a way for me to just feel alive and um, relax. Mm -hmm. Lori? I guess I'd have to say I'm the opposite of Tricia. Um, Music wasn't a big deal in my family or growing up. And until I joined Out Loud, I hadn't sung a note since elementary school. Wow. So it's a relatively new relationship for me, but it's it's growing a lot. I love it. I'm All of the quotes you had at the beginning of the show, you know, I, I definitely can feel those things. Yeah. Is, is singing a, a, a way that we're expressing ourselves emotionally and and is, is singing a, a way that we're, we're saying things that maybe we... we I don't know, can't express without singing. It's, uh, it's the, mus- the music is carrying an intent or something that we wouldn't normally say. I definitely think so, and I also think it's a way of forming relationships. I mean... What kind of relationships? Um, I usually find most of my camaraderie in, in, in life through music and um, community. And, you know, I grew up involved in drama and choirs, and those were all my friends and I could say any relationships that I formed had a backdrop of music to them I think mm-hmm. we're, we're going to talk about the out loud um, chorus a little bit later but I'd like to talk about some of the songs you've sung and grown up with over time if you can think about uh, songs that you sang growing up and as you came into adulthood and what they what they really meant for you what were some powerful um, uh, memories well for me David Jen Um, I remember a couple of days ago, before we were asked to do this radio show, I was remembering a song from childhood. I had a a teacher in elementary school that would make up songs and play them on the guitar. And there was, he would also sing some popular songs. And I remember when I was in, you know, third grade or fourth grade, being particularly touched by this song, The Eagle by Hat Palmer, and about how the eagle is free and you know, we need to let him be and whatever. And it and it really emotionally affected me then. And even thinking about it as an adult, I would sing a few bars and feel a little bit choked up. And so I think those emotions carried through over your lifetime. Yeah, so singing the song, did you have a visualization in your, in your head of, of a bird flying and, and uh, freedom? 
Absolutely. And every time you hear the music, it, it brought that, that image back. So, every time. So the, the music, hearing the music is, some, is, is more than just orally you know, hearing it. It it's, it's gives you a picture. It gives you a story. Yep. Yeah. What about you, Laurie? Well, I think that singing music is a much more intimate relationship than just listening to it. Um, my music experience until I joined the chorus was one of songs that can bring me back to a moment in time. Songs from per- certain parts of my life that put me right back there. Yes, you use songs to remember things. Right, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, it, even emotions can come flooding back instantly when you hear a certain song. Um, so, like I said, it's, it's, gr- it's a whole different kind of relationship for me now singing along with listening, of course. When you were rem- using songs and remembering things, did you did you gravitate toward a certain kind of music? Like, were you looking for happy memories or sad memories or just general across the board? Um, some of both. I guess I have a little bit of a masochistic streak. This, mm-hmm. The sad songs <laughs> and the country music songs get to me, but, uh, it, you know, you have to balance that out sometimes with happy songs. What are some songs you use to make you feel happy? Oh... Most well, I guess that's a tough one. Um, I'd say our rehearsal songs, actually, uh, going back and forth to work. I listen to the songs that we're learning for the next concert and uh, do a lot of singing of those mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of thinking of "You Are My Sunshine" right now because that that was like when I was really little. That when I'm thinking back to when I was really little, um, you know, that was a song that my grandma sang or my parents sang as. Right kind of a you know love relationship between <laughs> your parents and your, and children I, do you suppose the songs take on some different meanings as, as we get older we might have a certain picture in our head of maybe a bird or something and we're talking about a certain song and then as we growing it takes on a new meaning what do you th- what do you think about that sandy uh yes you, you uh, have your feelings so, sandy let's uh, you use jen's mic there for a second yeah okay a song starts out with, you know, certain feelings that you have. And um, like you, we said before, it, it can bring up emotions in you. Um, and then as you grow, um, you can still relate back to those songs, but you, you know, bring right. it up to date now. Yeah. And so the, you, you really get to know the meaning even much more in depth because now mm-hmm. you have, the, you have a, something to look back on and also the current memory. Yeah. I used to... Sing a lot of uh, Linda Ronstadt songs, and um, like one of them, I've been cheated. You know, I would just sing that to the top of my lungs. <laughs> mm. Did we all sing songs in school as children? Definitely. Yeah. And how how important do you think it is for for music in in our uh, educational in our school? Because you know that's like the first thing they want to they want to take away, right? They want to cut it because it's so expensive to have songs, right? In school, I'm joking, of course. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but it's it's it seems like arts are the first to go. What do you what do you think about that in in uh, education for children? Yeah, I, I'm a teacher actually, and oh, yeah. um, of course I teach really young children, five year olds, and four-year-olds and um music you know singing is part of our whole day experience and and i can and if i sing something to the kids instead of saying it to them they listen five times faster and i and i see the experience of my own children in um school and how important music is to them and I, i can't imagine their education without it it just 
I mean, I have a son who, who pretty much lives for playing in band. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's his. So do you think he got that from you? Do you think he, he got the interest for music from you? Um, I think so. I mean, it's it's been around him since he was born. I, I mean, he was born and I sang to him. So, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think it's part of his his personality, too, because he's got a different interest in it than his sister. She's more interested in singing and dancing, performing, and he's more interested in playing instruments and mm-hmm. composing. So. But they're both musical. Yeah. Yeah. Who who else has children here? Anyone else? No. Okay. Sandra shares. Mine. Okay. <laughs> so the answer would be similar about it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we didn't talk at all about your your uh, professional lives yet, really. But um, uh, Trisha, you said you're a teacher, mm-hmm. and what do you do, Sandy? Uh, currently, right now, I'm unemployed. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was a uh, production coordinator um, for an organic clothing company. Uh-huh. Jen? I'm a Ph.D. student at the University of Michigan in public health. Okay. And uh, Lori? I'm an engineer in the auto industry. So it's a, it's a, it's a broad mix, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. so there doesn't need to be a certain kind of, um, I don't know, occupation that a person has to have to, to be a singer. And, and uh, so does anyone here sing professionally Is it in, in, as in they they derive income from that? No. Just emotional riches. Yeah, just just uh, or you said just emotional riches, yeah. Yes. And that's that's true and that is that is pretty much priceless, right? Um, uh, right right now if I don't know if you're any clicking in, in the background, we're just organizing our microphones. So, uh, Sandy and Jen will will pass a microphone back and forth until we um, organize that. But that's all right. Uh, that's what making live music is like too, right? You have to sometimes work with with equipment and and you and you just keep on singing, right? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. we'll talk we're going to talk about the performance aspect of of what we do in, in choirs and, and when we're singing in front of others a little bit later. Let's talk right now. What what do you think makes a good singer? What are, what are the attributes of a good singer? <laughs> Enthusiasm, yeah. Willingness to learn, try new things. Passion, I would say. Passion, yeah. definitely. Lori, what do you think? I think it partially depends on what kind of singer you want to be. Oh, um, yeah. If you're going to be a soloist or a professional, of course, you have to have a, a very good vocal quality inherently and a lot of technical skill. If you want to sing in a chorus, blending is really a big key to be able to sing well with the people around you and make a sound together instead of individually. What happens if you're in a chorus and, and a voice is sticking out? What, what's going on there? Get yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> it can be a problem. It can be a big problem. Um, you just, I guess you have to deal with it, place people differently, mm-hmm. and just try to work together. Sandy? Well, just kind of tell everybody that we need to blend. <laughs> yeah. Is that because that you want to have a uniform character or quality to the sound, or why is that? You get the best music when you're sounding, when the choir sounds like one, one person, mm-hmm. you know, that you don't have somebody sticking out uh, because you are a choir, mm-hmm. you're a group. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, you know, a soloist. And when you can combine all of that into one sound, it's it's great. And that's something that we you know we work at. I earlier described a physiological aspect of um, of the voice. I was talking about the vocal cords and the bone structure and how it all comes together and makes this sound. And so every single singer's voice 
is unique. Every single singer's voice has a unique character. Interestingly, uh, if you, uh, it's my understanding that, uh, I mean, if you hear singers from the same family, there's an interesting similarity in their voices, and they, they blend really interestingly together, don't they? Um, but what, what about physically? What makes for a good singer physically? As far as a, like a body and, and like does someone have to do they have to work out regularly to, to be a good singer? Well, I would say they have to have good stamina and why is that cardiovascular healthiness, I yeah. guess, in general. I, I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, I'm starving after rehearsal. <laughs> um, I don't know. I would agree. I, I I don't think there's a specific body type that you need, but you need to be able to have some control over your abdominal muscles, over your breathing. Um, I would say that those are the probably the key characteristics. Mm -hmm. And you can get that through practice. Well, does everyone who sings, uh, I mean, you know, when I sing, I don't know if I'm concerning myself with, with my musculature and, and, and thinking about that. What, how, where does that fit in? Well, you need to be... Um, Standing up straight is if you're slouched down, you're not going to get the correct breathing, mm -hmm. like from your abdominals and okay. that. It's going to be slouched over, and it's not going to come out right. Okay. At the beginning of each season, since we're a non-audition chorus, uh, usually our director will go through some basic physical stuff about singing, about the, the tongue and the throat and the chest and breathing, so that people who aren't used to singing can start to understand how they need to hold themselves and how they need to practice to make the best sound. What was the hardest thing to get used to about that? When you when you started really getting serious about singing, I mean, when you're when you decide to join a chorus, you're you're I mean, you're you're taking a step to say I, I'm going to be here every week. I'm going to sing and and I'm going to do this really well. I'm I'm I'm, I'm guessing right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, what was the hardest thing to get used to or adjust to? And you think back to those early days when you first walked in there all shy and you didn't know anybody. And I think the hardest thing for me was <clears throat> learning how to um, stand up straight and tall and, and keep my shoulders back without making them too high or too low. Try to keep relaxed while at the same time, you know, keeping my abs tight, but stay, the rest of my body and my throat being relaxed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's really hard to get that. All right. So uh, you used... Um, I think what I'm trying to say is, how does someone get involved in singing? Uh, you know, we we might uh, have just naturally been involved with it in, in child as a child in school, or maybe we sing in our shower. But what if we want to sing with another group? It seems that there could be some barriers there. Well, I, I mean, I've been approached by you know people saying, "Well, I I don't think I sing well. I don't think I." I can sing. Confidence is an issue. Yeah, and um, and I try to encourage them to to even try to sing. You know, they seem to think that. I mean, I feel like you know everyone can sing to an extent as long as they um, really learn about the breathing and everything that they need to do. It, it just it's just a matter of um, trying it and not being afraid of it. But mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's difficult. What, what do you think about confidence? I mean, uh, do you do you consider yourselves to have a lot of confidence? If you're if you're up on stage, you must have a lot of confidence. Is that right? I feel like I only have confidence now because I mean, I went I went to music school for a few years, and they were trying to make me into a different kind of singer than who I am, yeah. and I didn't have confidence then. But I, I get the confidence from being 
knowing that I'm free to be me and be open and sing from my own voice and not like trying to be someone else. Is it easier to to sing with other people than by yourself? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Support. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think there are a lot of people in the choir that wouldn't feel confident standing on stage singing alone. Uh, I think the confidence comes from us being together as a group mm-hmm. and going out there facing the crowd together. Mm-hmm. Safety in numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now, where where does that confidence come from internally? I mean, you, you I mean, you, you you say that you you feel better if there's people around you, and you say that you've had some experience, and that kind of helps build your confidence. Is that all? Anything else? Any other sources for your confidence? I feel like it's the community, really. Really? Okay, so the, the people who are uh, viewing you, people who are attending your... Well, and the people we're working with. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we're depending oh, on each other. the community of the people, mm-hmm. the other singers. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Jen? I feel like there's no pressure to be better than what I am. I am what I am. We're all very different in the choir. We all have different levels and skill levels. And I feel that as long as I'm doing my best, that's going to be good enough. And that will always be true for everyone. Okay, so you are comfortable with yourself, and you're all, and that's where mm-hmm. your some of your confidence comes from. Okay, uh, what about are you comfortable with other people? You know, you say you need to, you're, you feel better singing around other people. Do you consider yourself a better singer than the person next to you, or are they better than you? You shouldn't ask that question. Me, Jen, and Lori, we're, we're the first sopranos with one other person. <laughs> no. We're all good. No, we yes. We're, we're good together. <laughs> That's a very good answer. Jen. There are different skill levels for sure in the choir, and there are de- there are definitely people who people in the section look to for guidance, for help with reading notes, mm-hmm. and for timing issues and things like that. But it's not competitive mm-hmm. in any way. Okay. Y- yes, it's very cooperative, and and sometimes it's notes, sometimes it's timing, like Jen said. Other times it's the words. Some people remember the words better than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, a lot of it's just feedback. If I hear the voices around me and I sound like I'm matching them, then I feel more confident that I'm on the right track. So a, a listener, in, I'm sorry, a singer, in order to sing well, has to be a good listener. Is that oh, what you're yeah. saying? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are we listening for as singers? Um, a lot of times I'm listening if we're in, in tune. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably pretty if important, we're in the right? proper part of the chord yeah. and everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, that's big for me. I mean, I, I kind of feel a physical pain when we get out of tune. <laughs> and she makes a face, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, what are we listening for? Um, I'm listening to make sure that I'm I'm in tune and on pitch to the note. And um, I listen to my Palo Altos around me to make sure that uh, you know we're all all there together. So it's a, it's a constant process while you're singing a song that you're oh, yeah. constantly listening and adjusting mm-hmm. and adapting and it's really yes. organic I guess. And it's and yeah. it's the same no matter how many times you sing the song. You know, you're it's it's like hearing it all new. <laughs> wow. So. Okay. Um, let's talk about now the choir, the out loud chorus. How did it all start? Who can give me some history? Well, I did some looking in on our website. <laughs> um, the group was uh, founded in October of 1995, so that's prior uh, to me being a member. Uh, but it was a group of people um, who were dreamers that they wanted to start a mixed chorus for uh, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community and uh, for the Ann Arbor and, and surrounding areas. And um, they 
started it, and it's it's been going ever since. And and how many people are in it right now? I think we got what, about twenty five right now. Is how how has the membership been over the years? Is it that what it started with? You you say these people kind of banded together and they had a, they had a dream to to make to make music. It fluctuates over the years. Um, I don't know the exact number that there was when they started, uh, but I mean, at one point, I believe we were up to like 50, yes. 50 members. Mm -hmm. So it just depends. A lot of it uh, depends on what's going on in people's lives. You know, some people have to drop out because of work or family or school, and then they come back. What kind of commitment as a uh, choir member do you need to make? Jen? On a weekly basis, it's a two-and-a-half-hour rehearsal on Monday nights. Um, and some people uh, try to practice some at home, so maybe a couple of hours a week at home. Um, and then when it gets closer to the concert, we'll rehearse a little bit more, maybe two or th two times a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not huge. Are you, are you all... Uh, do you have CDs in your car of the music and you're all singing in yes. the car at stoplights, people looking yes. over at you and they see? Right now, yep. yeah. I mean, coming down to a week and a half, before, oh my God, <laughs> a week and a half before the concert, I, mm -hmm. it's constant. I mean, I, I got the music going in my brain right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is the choir, a, is it also a business or is it just a community organization of people that come together? Or? It's a uh, not-for-profit organization. Okay. So it's, it's a community of people coming together. Um course you know you we still have to you know our bills to pay uh we have to pay for uh the rental of our rehearsal space uh we have to pay for the rental of our venues that we use we have to pay our director and yes. our musicians <laughs> yeah, we have to buy our music so you have um you have occasionally musicians who assist uh instrumentalists who who play and give uniforms we don't have uniforms we um usually pick uh a different sort of dress attire for each concert so um, for this upcoming concert we'll be wearing uh, black white or silver um, dresses or pants anyone can wear either whatever they want um, at other concerts sometimes we have all black and then we usually have some kind of flashy accessories like little scarves sparkly scarves or something what's the male female ratio mix much larger female ratio. Uh -huh. why, why do you think that is we constantly wonder that ourselves. Yes. <laughs> um, we we would like to reach out more to the men in the community, um, but but we haven't found that magic that magic point yet where we get people running to our door, especially mm -hmm. men. I think there's another chorus in the area for for men, and so I think that that might be part of the reason. Um, but we try really hard to reach out um, to the tenors and basses out there. So if you're listening, <laughs> we need you. All right. In a little while, we're going to return to our conversation with Trisha Miller, Sandra Lambert, Jennifer Smith, and Lori Hart. Next is the uh, book report from Keith Orr. You're listening to Closets Are for Clothes. This is Keith Orr talking from Common Language Bookstore. And today I want to talk about Michael Thomas Ford and his latest novel, what we remember. Michael Thomas Ford is one of my favorite authors. Note that I did not say favorite gay authors, though that is also true. Ford's work transcends the categorization. One of my other favorite authors is Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Vonnegut often complained that young writers do not have an outlet to perfect their craft, as he did when he was coming of age as an author in the 50s. 
Vonnegut was having a short story printed every week by a variety of magazines that published original fiction as part of their content. By the time he wrote his second novel, Sirens of Titan, he was an author in command of his craft and the voice of his novels. Michael Thomas Ford also found many outlets for writing in the early part of his career. He wrote essays collected in the My Queer Life series, including Alec Baldwin Doesn't Lo Love Me and That's Mr. Faggot to You. He wrote many collections of interviews and essays for young adults, including many for gay and questioning youth. He continues to write fiction for young adults. He wrote extensively on spirituality, and under a nom de plume, he wrote erotica. By the time his first novel, Last Summer, was published, he was truly an author in command of his craft. Each of his five literary novels is a masterpiece. With each new novel, I only hope that it will, it will be as good as any of his previous novels. And with each, he astonishes me by surpassing his from, former work. Just as astonishing, each of his novels is unique. He did not just hit on a successful formula and continue to repeat it. With each, he explores something new about the human condition and in the process, the gay condition. He creates a work, a story, and a form suited to that message. His most recent novel, What We Remember, was just released this month. It is part family drama, part mystery, part historical novel, and part psychological study. If that sounds like it might be dry and studied, be assured it is not. What We Remember is the story of the McLeod family. It is told from different characters' perspectives, as well as different times' perspectives set several years apart. The family patriarch is Daniel McLeod. He is the sheriff of Cold Falls, New York. He disappears, and a couple of days later, a suicide night note arrives in the mail. But his body is never found. Seven years later, the body is unearthed, buried in a box. This was not a suicide. It was murder. The three children and the wife have lived with one story for many years and now must grapple with another, including the suspicion and arrest of the older brother, James. The younger brother, Billy, is gay and seriously messed up on drugs and alcohol. The sister, Celeste, is married to Nate Derry, the, the current sheriff. The Derry family had been the closest friends of the McLeods. They too are drawn into this story. The book is carefully constructed to show the difference, not only in what different people remember about an incident, but even how the same person remembers the same incident differently at different times in their lives. The novel shifts back and forth between the two time periods and between the different characters. Oftentimes in Ford's work, there's, there are unexpected twists in the reader's perception of who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. This novel is no exception. Billy the gay son is at first unsympathetic. However, I believe that Billy is the critical voice in the novel, and ultimately bad guys become good guys through the redemptive quality of remembrance. That was Keith Thor at Common Language Bookstore in Ann Arbor speaking about the latest novel from Michael Thomas Ford. Common Language Bookstore is on the web at glbtbooks.com, and their phone is 734-663-0036. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. You're listening to Closets Are for Clothes.
gay. He's gay. The Office of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Affairs offers service to the University of Michigan and Ann Arbor communities. I'm gay! He's gay! LGBTA services include education and training, information, program and organization development, support and referral, and advocacy. I'm gay! He's gay! I'm gay! For a list of helpful resources, Call 763-4186 or visit on the web at www.umich.edu slash tilde I-N-Q-U-E-E-R-Y. Support for WCBN and Closets Are for Clothes comes from the gay and lesbian community and listeners like you. Hear WCBN anytime at the website wcbn.org. Write us at closets at gayradiocollective.org. You can also find archive shows on our website or the weekly broadcast on iTunes. Closets airs Wednesdays 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on the...
in the studio and uh, if you were listening just a moment ago you heard uh, the uh, song Turn the World Around and that is from a CD called Gala Chorus's 7th Festival International from Montreal in 2004 that was the Out Loud Chorus of Ann Arbor with uh, Jan R. Moore the director which you didn't probably know about is all this swaying that was going on in the room here as that music was playing <laughs> and the uh, people uh <coughs> Mimicking the instrument instrumentalists uh, uh, playing. Uh, tell me a little bit about that song. Well, um, just a little correction. That was John Moore. He was oh, our John director Moore. I'm sorry. then. John Moore. And our director now is John Rapolsky. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes me back. I don't know. I, that was that was in front of thousands of people at the gala festival, and it was so fun. <laughs> wow. We we were. It was our first time going there, and it was such a receptive audience and. Everybody stood and clapped afterwards. We were blown away. Mm-hmm. Sounds terrific. We're going to talk more about the choir. The uh, With me here in the studio, we have, uh, you just heard Lori Hart. Uh, she is a uh, first soprano with the Out Loud Chorus. Jennifer Smith is here. Sandra Lambert and Tricia Miller. Uh, all sopranos and one alto. Is that right? That's uh, correct. Sandra is the winning alto. Congratulations! Yes, <laughs> yeah, the all right. So this is uh, would, this is a gay choir. Yes, it is. Right. Tell me about the identity of a gay choir. Why? Why gay choir? We need to reach out to our community and um, and form a community. And and I think it's really hopeful that we. I mean, we have a choir that says. Um, we support you in your identity, and we um, we're here for you. And you know, not everyone in the choir is necessarily gay, but we, you know, it's it's a support network. All right, I, I want to ask you about that. So you have you have uh, people who do not identify themselves as gay or lesbian being in the choir. Yes, we do, David. Um, anyone is welcome to join the choir. We. Um, are really looking for people that are comfortable being around other gay people, comfortable um, possibly being identified as being gay. Because when they see, when we're seen on stage, everybody kind of just sort of assumes. They assume you're, that they all do. the singers are gay. Is, they do. Uh, what do you think about that? Is, that? is that right or wrong? Or is it doesn't matter? What do you think? Well, it's wrong because not all of our singers are gay, uh-huh. but um, to them it doesn't matter because they don't see it as being stigmatized in any way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, songs you sing, do they have gay themes? Sometimes. <laughs> T- tell me about the gay theme songs. Lori. There are a few uh, songwriters out there who write fabulous stuff that a lot of the gay choruses around the country use. And some of them are just brilliant, funny. It's, it's good music, but it's also funny and uh, makes a political statement at the same time. Uh, there's even gay holiday music that we have on occasion <laughs> sung downtown in Ann Arbor. Although what, not like everybody what? is. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore. We haven't sung any of those lately, really. But yeah. um, oh, what are you like? Christmas music or Hanukkah music? There, or, there was a song uh, Yom Kippur or, or? <laughs> with a couple uh, names in it that we won't say. But it was okay. it's kind of a. It created um, a stir. Spoof. It was a spoof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a spoof, and and some people were comfortable with it, mm-hmm. and some people weren't. It was really putting us out there. Uh, you know, the normal shoppers in downtown Ann Arbor would be walking by, and all of a sudden they'd hear different words, and and kind of stop and look at us. And you know, some people would cross the street, but really, uh, yeah. you'd have people that are trying to avoid you. Yeah, and now even you know, it just depends. Um, we've the last couple um season holiday seasons we've sung traditional holiday music and um we but we have a big banner proclaiming who we are and you will get people looking at it and and kind of looking at us like whoa wait a minute sandy do you feel that that limits you at all as a choir if you have a label of being gay does that mean that you're for gay people well we're for the gay community and um for um, those people who support us. Um, naturally, if there's people that's offended by us or whatever, um, you know, that's okay. We don't really want those people anyways. Um, but we, you know, have our gay straight alliance, uh, people and in our community. And I don't think it limits us. I think it actually opens the door for us to do more things. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully to turn some heads into seeing that not all, um, people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender fall into what they think the stereotypes are, what they think we should be, um, and maybe helps some people who see us out in public to realize we're just people too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> love to sing. <laughs> uh, we haven't given the website to the, for the chorus yet. What is the website? Does uh, or should we come back to that? Aaoutloud.org. Aaoutloud.org. Yeah, it's actually a Google Groups page, but it goes to it if you go to okay. aaoutloud.org. Okay. Uh, what is your sense of community with with other gay choruses? Are there other ones across the country, or how big is the family? Uh, it's a great big family. Uh, the gala thing that you mentioned. Each four years that they have the festival, there's five to seven thousand people there. Um, upwards of 200 groups in some cases. Here in Michigan, it's a small set of groups. So there's a, there are a few groups in Detroit and a couple of groups here in Ann Arbor. None of them are huge groups, but we do work together. In fact, our upcoming concert in a week and a half mm-hmm. uh, will be featuring One Voice Detroit, which is one of the other mixed choruses out by Detroit Way, and they'll be singing a whole set with us. I think there's a group in Lansing, too. Yes, and, and in somewhere west in Michigan. There, there are other groups, but I was thinking just in the metro area. Where's your next performance again? Well, we're going to be in two places, Alexander Recital Hall and Eastern Michigan Campus. 
That's the Friday night concert, and Saturday is going to be a great treat. It's at the Firefly Club in Ann Arbor, downtown Ann Arbor, which is sort of a little cabaret. And because it's a small venue, we'll be doing two shows. People can come sit, actually have a table, get served a drink, and, and enjoy our show. Mm-hmm. All right, let's now, I want to talk about the uh, people within the choir and the choir as, as a group. And, uh, you know, we, we mentioned a little bit before it is kind of a business because there are certain things that have to be taken care of, there are bills to pay, there's operations. So it, it, it's more than just the singers. What kind of people make up the choir, the chorus, the outlawed chorus? What, what's, uh, what do you have for demographics? Go ahead, Sandy. Well, um, we've got, of course, our singers. We have a director. Um, we obviously have an accompanist. Um, we have musicians um, that play with us at our concerts. We have a drummer. Uh, we will have uh, a bass player. Um, at times, we've had uh, people play violin, uh, flute. People uh, within the chorus are also instrumental? No, sometimes or? we, uh, well, sometimes they are within the chorus, uh, but usually we will hire uh, musicians to come in for our concerts. Mm-hmm. But um, we even had a harp one time, uh, accompany us at mm-hmm. one time. But we have other needs that are non-singing members. Um, you know, we have board members. We have people that have to help for fundraising, help with production, marketing, um, choreography, and that. So it takes a whole lots. team of people yes, to keep takes this a village, course going. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And uh, you all said that you yourselves are not professional musicians. Are there other singers who also maybe do, uh, you know, they have a side job of, of hanging out in a smoky bar at night making music? Or I don't think there's anyone else in the chorus, at, anyone in the chorus at this time that's a professional musician. Except our director. Except, Except our director. Except the director. Yeah. Yeah. But we do on occasion have professionals come and sing with us. Right. In our last concert, we featured a, a actually becoming nationally acclaimed tenor and we have in the past uh, a couple years ago we had sort of a a jazz singer i guess you'd call her that performed in the same cabaret venue that we're having this time has singing in the choir uh directed you to have a greater interest in music and something you might want to uh, pursue more seriously than than singing in a weekly choir is there room for that in your life there's not, but um, <laughs> I think it was something I wished for as a, as a child and as, as a, a young adult to be more involved maybe in like musical theater or something uh-huh. like that. What about you, Jen? It's definitely had an impact on me. Um, I recently took up guitar a couple of years ago because I was so excited about singing and writing songs mm-hmm. that I wanted to be able to play my own music. How, how is that coming? How well, soon until you're on the show <laughs> playing music? <laughs> I, g- I gave myself five years to learn. Um, so I'm two years into that. So we'll say three more years, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, hmm. I'm going to want a little sooner than that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell me about rehearsals. What are rehearsals like? You said they're once a week. You said they're for about two hours, you said, or two and a half hours? Two and a half. Two and a half hours. What do you do in a rehearsal? Why do, why do you have to keep repeating the same music? Tell me about what a rehearsal is. Well, we memorize all of our music for our concerts. So that, uh, with besides the other practice that we do outside of rehearsal, that's where most of the memorization occurs, uh, for me at least, singing through stuff over and over again. But we also, I mean, we have to tweak so many things, notes, um, rhythms. Now, there are four uh, parts. Is there a bass, tenor, mm-hmm. alto, soprano? And do you, do you sometimes go more into a division or...? Yes, we do. We have uh, soprano ones and twos, alto ones and twos. Oh. 
usually that's at tenor and bass. And everybody's learning to memorize this music? Mm-hmm. What, how do you do that? <laughs> it's a lot of, of, a lot of practice. Um, we're lucky that um, most of the time we have CDs also that we play the music so we can play it in our cars or whatever, but um, it, it's really the rehearsal that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can actually all learn it together and and get it the same, <laughs> you know, learn it right the first time, hopefully. When do you break away from the printed page? When is when does it become memorized? How long does that take? We've started to now. We we've got a schedule that we try to stick to for memorizing at various points, various songs at various points in the season. Um, the last month or so, we start putting down the, the music for real. A lot of memorization happens the week before the concert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that because of the pressure? Cramming. Uh, yeah. Cramming. You don't want to be up exam. on stage and not know the words. Uh-huh. Yeah, I want to I talk about the stage. Um, but first, uh, what, what are some vocal techniques? You know, we, we've, certainly you're talking about music and learning it and rehearsing it, and, and you keep rehearsing, and it's more than just memorizing the words. What are you, what's the sound that you're trying to develop? Is it, I mean, can you sing the same way in the rehearsal that you can at home in the shower? Or is there a difference? Is there, what is the director pulling out of you? He's trying to have us have a uniform choral sound. And that includes, you know, singing from the diaphragm, um, singing with the available space in your head. You know, your sinuses, the things that resonate sound mm-hmm. within, within your body. Okay. And you can move your voice around as far as where it's coming from or... It, it takes a, it takes some concentration to to get it to to get it right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you kind of have to to know what you're feeling, and then have it said to you. That's what sound you're looking for. And then if you remember what that feeling oh, okay. is, <laughs> so you, it's really yeah. trying to feel the resonate resonating in your head, and um, you know, breathe the, the the deep breathing is so important. Jen, and I also think um, another. A key feature of a a well-blended chorus is everyone pronouncing their vowels the same, and so everyone comes in with their own accents, and we have to get our vowel sounds right and open our mouth Mm -hmm. and put the tongue down so that you have a nice round space in your mouth. So if someone has an accent, does that stick out? Not necessarily. It can. It can. But Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to take on an accent to sound... Mm-hmm. Good mm-hmm. too. Like what? Kind of like an English accent, a little bit. Oh, so if you were singing a song, you'd you'd sound British and. Uh, you well, I'm, I'm not saying that you would sound British singing. I I think it's that you are make the forming the vowels in a way that it would make it sound British to you if you spoke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. What what is a piece that you worked on that gave you a real challenge? Are you working on any music now, which was especially hard, and maybe when you saw it, it was daunting, and and has it become easier, Sandra? Um, not currently with the stuff that we're doing, um, this time around. I was thinking back a few concerts ago, um, we did a Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire, and that one was from memory, and that one was very daunting to me because it's so many words and so fast, um, but we did it, and we, and we did it well. From constant practicing and rehearsals and singing in the car and the shower and, yes. and it gets totally in your brain and it, you, it, yes, it gets in your brain and you can't get it out. <laughs> yeah. So the the repetition it helps it uh, helps you perfect the the enunciation more easily. Yes. And, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And uh, not everyone learns music at the same rate. So how's that working in the choir? With all, with the, you have some 20 different members right now, and, and, and you, you must all have different degrees of musical skill and, 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 and maybe formal training. It's true, David. Um, we have started a mentorship program where we have... Um, People who are at different levels of learning the music, maybe someone that knows how to sight read, working with someone that doesn't um, on a regular basis. And we've started that program. But also, um, I think that we just sort of all all help each other and we all do learn at different paces. Some, But like Lori said earlier, some people are good at sight reading. Some people are good at memorization. Other people are good at rhythm. So we just learn from each other. Is there any need or requirement to take voice lessons to be in a choir? It helps, I think. Well, how, would, how would voice lessons help? Um, because it can be kind of hard to, to, to produce the sound. I mean, in taking at least a couple, like, even rudimentary lessons, I think. And he's, and our director, John, now has given us rudimentary lessons um, at the start of the season in some basics of, like, music theory and voice production. And, and so it's maybe not necessarily needed formal but it does help to have those for the whole choir to to get together (laughs) are there easier times of the the year to sing than others as far as uh your ability to 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 you know to sing like are you is your voice uh easier is it easier to sing at nighttime versus daytime wintertime versus Mm -hmm. summer What, what what can you tell me about that well, it's really hard to sing when it's 20 degrees out at christmas when we're doing the carols um and it's equally hard to sing if you have allergies in the spring or if you have a cold in the winter, um, it's virtually impossible to make a good sound, and it's even harder to hear a good sound. For me, I, I don't think there's a particular time of year beyond those kind of conditions. Let's talk about the a concert, all right? When it's the first time you were on stage in front of a bunch of other people and, and performing something, was that in the, in the chorus, or, or what happened? Tell me, tell me Lori. Yeah, definitely it was for me. Um, I was nervous coming up to it, but when the night came, I was strangely not nervous. A calm had come over you. Yeah, which I still don't quite understand. I mean, when I played sports, I played sports for years and years, and at the beginning of every single game, no matter how long I had played it, I was always nervous until I got my chance to handle the ball or get involved. And I haven't felt that with the concerts. I, I still can't quite explain that. Nervousness, uh, Sandra? Oh, yes. You, um, I, I'm always uh, nervous at the start of the show. Um, then it's like once we get out, or once I get out on stage, see the audience, hear the applause, and we start singing, uh, the nervousness kind of you know, starts melting away a little bit. Um, unless there's an upcoming solo, then that kind of builds back up again. <laughs> uh, but You mean you soloing or someone else? Uh, well, me individually soloing. I can't mm-hmm. speak for other soloists. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume they get a little nervous, but I don't know. But I know I do. Yeah, so you have all these lights on you. Is it hot under all those? Uh... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and, and uh, so the, the stage is this special place, and does it all seem to come together? Is it, is, how, how does the actual concert performance differ from you know, rehearsals? What's, what's different? Lots of adrenaline. <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think everyone is is um, giving it their best attention. They're all, and I, I think we tend to blend a little bit better because people are really listening and really focused at the concerts. Mm-hmm. 
Who's who is in the audience? What what is your makeup of the people who are watching, listening, and presumably buying tickets and things? Are they all gay? The no, gay no, definitely not. I, actually, this next concert, all my um, co-teachers are coming to, and <laughs> none of them are gay, so <laughs> that's really cool. Um, I think it's a lot of our support um, members, like friends, families, come to these, but we also tend to have a little bit of a loyal following. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would echo that. Mostly friends and family, but also um, you had asked about limitations of being a gay chorus. Well, this is one of the, I don't know, opposite of limitations, which is we're gay, so we attract a big gay audience also to come to. When you're at parties and people ask you what you do on Wednesday or Thursday night, I mean, do you say, oh, I go sing and rehearse with my gay chorus? Is that what you how, how do? You, how, do oh, you yeah. share, how do you share your musical activities with your friends? I never lose an opportunity to try to get someone else to join. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Parties all the time. Hey, come to our concert or come check out our rehearsal. Just, you know, join up if you're interested in working on production. Do people in the audience uh, eventually have an interest? Or, or are many of your members, were they, you know, once audience members? Definitely I was. I was, too. Yep, me really? Too. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you heard the chorus and you said, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really? That's great. Um, what... What has been the response from the audience? And now you say they're supportive, and and so do, how do they how do they talk about the chorus? And 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 do you do you read other newspaper reviews? And and how does the word get out? Well, we have had um, a newspaper article or two in the past. Um, um, I think that we have a very enthusiastic audience because, especially being that we are a gay chorus, that we have. Um, they feel like they're being served, you know, that they, they get to have, this is their moment, you know, that the mainstream society might not honor them mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as, mm-hmm. and we will. <laughs> so that's helpful. Jen? I agree. Um, our audience is really enthusiastic with sing-along parts. Sometimes we have, or I remember one year, the Rocky Horror Picture Show encore, <laughs> all kinds of people dancing in the aisles. It was fun. Um but I think we do. We did get some reviews in a newspaper at, at least a couple of times. So, and you can do a review on the radio. And <laughs> <laughs> what's coming up for the choir? Uh, well, there's the concert coming up in a week and a half. Then we take the summer off and start again in the fall. Okay. Yep. And give me the website again. AAOutloud.org. Okay. Jennifer Smith, Lori Hart, Sandra Lambert, Trisha Miller, all members of the Out Loud Chorus based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It has been terrific having you on, and I really appreciate you all coming down. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. You can find us on the internet at WCBN.org and on iTunes. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. You've been listening to Closets Are for Clothes. We are the Gay Radio Collective. WCB. WCBN Just keep your dial On 88.3 FM Ann Arbor WCBN FM Ann Arbor